Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more information about us, please visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Doing good. I am so excited. Let me just tell you, for one, I'm excited that fall is actually here now. Does it not feel like it today? I, I mean, being from Colorado, every September, when September starts, I feel like it's supposed to start right then. So I am, I've been walking around in the last month with jackets on and 90 degree heat, just pretending that fall was going to come. And so now it's finally here and I don't have to sweat all day long. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I hope you guys are too. Hey, this, uh, this week, as Leslie mentioned, we are uh, going through the books of Romans all the way through Hebrews this fall. And we're taking a book a week. I know it's kind of a snapshot of every book and, and pulling something out of that through these letters that Paul wrote to all the churches. Okay, And this week, I have been given 1 Corinthians. And if you started the reading plan a couple weeks ago, you may have just begun getting into 1 Corinthians. Maybe you're a little bit behind, and, and you'll be getting into it soon. So you'll be, you will see some of these things that I'm going to talk about today in the midst of that. To tell you a little bit, first of all, just background about the Corinthian church, Paul actually in 49 AD came to Corinth as a missionary, okay, and a preacher of the gospel, and he planted a church there. And uh, Corinth is a port city, so there are a lot of different cultures that come through there constantly. So there were a lot of different gods that are being worshipped and idled and all of the above, and Paul being the strong deliverer of the gospel uh, that he is, he would dispel all of these as he came across them. So not only was he planning a church, but at the same time he was making some enemies as well uh, because his belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that he should be the only one that we were worshiping. So the letter itself, it is actually in response to news from some of the members of the things that are happening in the church, okay? And that included some of the members of the church following different leaders, uh, putting them up on a pedestal a little bit more than they should. That included um, some sexual immorality that was going on. There was incest, members sleeping with prostitutes. They had questions about marriage. They had questions about divorce. They had questions about being single. Uh, they had questions about what food was okay to eat. They had questions about worship, unity in the body. So just a lot of things going on, a lot of churchy things going on in the body. And so that is why Paul is writing. Now, just a side note, if, uh, if, if you guys ever want me to preach on what food is okay to eat, I'm okay with that because i got some things I want to share, okay? Uh, I, I, would, I would do really well at that, I think. So, hey, Paul spoke this letter to the issues of the day, okay? And in the big C church... Nowadays, we have some kind of the same things. We have people that follow pastors. We have people that follow these certain teachers, and they won't go to church anywhere else. And when those, when those churches disband or something happens, they totally fall away from their faith. We have people that struggle with marriage in the church. We have people that struggle with infidelity in the church. We have issues with worship. I have actually seen churches split because of how we should worship. We should be doing it this way. We should be doing it that way. So we struggle with unity in the body. We struggle with, a lot of people struggle with 
whether Jesus was resurrected, which is something that this church in Corinth, there were people in this church that struggled with that. So the crazy thing about it is this was written over 2,000 years ago. But guess what? Some of the things that they were struggling with, same story, different year. So this is, this is stuff that we can take. This is stuff that we can learn from, okay? This morning, I'm going to preach out of a portion of 1 Corinthians chapters 9 and 10. If you've got your Bible with you, you can begin to get into chapter 9. Uh, this, this, or this portion of Scripture has always uh, spoken to me, particularly being an athlete. And if you've ever been a part of FCA or uh, Athletes in Action or, you know, some of these different ministries, this is kind of their banner scripture. If you've grown up in church, you've heard this scripture, okay? My hope today is that we hear this scripture in a fresh new way and uh, that it speaks to our hearts. So I'm going to kind of go old school this morning. This might shock y'all, but I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand Okay, as we read the Word of God. If you want to, if you got your Bible or you opening up your app, why don't you just stand with me for a sec while we read this. Chapter 9, verse 24. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. For everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Heavenly Father, we come today, and Lord, as we open up your word, Father, pierce our hearts, pierce our souls, pierce our minds. Father, may we walk out of here changed. May we walk out of here with a renewed vigor for faith in you. It's in the name of Jesus I pray, amen. All right, you may be seated. It's been a while, right? I, I, it's been a while since I've been in church where we stood and read the word of God. So in this case, in 1 Corinthians, okay, Paul is speaking an analogy that is very real to the Corinthians, okay? Because Corinth is where the Isthmian games, that's right, the Isthmian, say that four times really fast. It's I-S-T-H-M-I-A-N. And the Isthmian games happened every two years. So the Olympian games were still every, every four years, just like they are today. But sandwiched in between them, different areas had different other games. And in Corinth, they had the Isthmian Games, not quite as big as the Olympic Games, uh, but very prominent to the people in Corinth. Now, I love Paul because you're going to find as you go through the reading plan that this isn't the only place that Paul uses an athletic metaphor. You'll see it in Philippians, you'll see it in Galatians, you'll see it in his second letter to Timothy. This is something that spoke to Paul, and this is something that as a preacher that he knew really got the people centered. So one of the reasons why I love this passage of scripture is because I can hear Paul. I can hear Paul from the sidelines. You know, it, last week, Tim preached out of Romans, and really in Romans, Paul has got his theology hat on. He has given us some deep theological lessons, lessons about our Christian faith. Well, this portion of scripture in particular, I see Paul grab his coaching hat, and he's putting it on. 
and you hear him running from, or yelling from the sidelines. I love those people in our life. You know, those people who know you well enough that when they see something to celebrate, they celebrate you. When they see you maybe going down a path that you shouldn't go down, maybe they're the first ones to kick you in the behind. Don't you love those people? Because they, they make us better. I had one of these coaches from fifth grade to 10th grade. It was my best friend's dad. He was my football coach. And well, after a couple of years, he knew me really well because I was at his house all the time as well. My mom actually used to call him anytime I needed to get uh, punished because he would use football against me. And so it made me straighten up. But Coach Benz was one of these guys that, I don't know if you can do this nowadays, but man, when he got mad at you, you did something wrong in practice, you weren't hustling, he would come up and he would grab your face mask and your head would be shaking. He's just yelling at you, there's spit flying out of his mouth. He was a smoker, so he had horrible breath. I mean, it was just one of those exchanges where you're just like, okay, that, that can't happen again. So I'm going to do what I need to do. Well, maybe today that's, that's what Paul's doing from the sideline, okay? 9.24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. For everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. He's saying, do you not know? Did you forget? Did you forget while we're running the race? Did you forget what this is all about? You started the race so well. You got in a good spot going around the first turn. You were setting the pace. Paul starts off with this statement to get their attention. And once again, Paul is using the example of the runner. Okay? Now, the runner in these times is a lot like if we were talking about football today. In the United States, it's the most popular sport. More people watch football than any other sport. In the world, it might be soccer. In this day, running is king. This is the event that everybody waits for at the games. This is the event that transcends, the one that gives them not only the award of the wreath on their head, but also political power. You can kind of think back to Gladiator, the movie, and the more times he won, the more power he got with the crowd. They started to want him. They started to follow him. Anything he said, that's kind of what happens, not only for the runner, but for the political people from that area. So Paul draws them in with the games in their favorite sport, and right off the bat, he challenges them. Do you not know? This is a race. Run it like you want to win it. It says everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. The runners, they run for a prize, okay? They run for something that's material, a political value. It has little worth at the end of their time. As Christians, Paul reminds us that this isn't it. We're, we're not running this race for something that will fade away. We're running it to win the prize that will last for all eternity. I love that portion of scripture in Matthew 6 where Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth that moth and rust will destroy, that thieves can break in and steal. No, store up yourselves treasures in heaven 
where moth and rust won't destroy, where thieves can't break in and steal. And he says, for where your treasure is, there also is your heart. That's a, that's a mindset shift for us because we're kind of, we kind of are visual. It's what's right in front of us. You know, we're working to, to get the new house, to get the new car, to support our family, to save for college. We're doing those things that only we can see. And Jesus was saying, you got to make that mind shift to where you're thinking about the things that you do here have an impact there. There's treasure that you can store up while you're on earth that will be stored for you in heaven. They're going to be part of the crown you wear. So Paul has set the stage, okay? He's looked to the end of the race so that we would know what we're running for. But this scripture as a whole, I want you to see it as a whole, okay? It's more about the process. It's more about the training. It's more about the discipline that it takes for the athlete to get the opportunity to stand on the podium, to get the medal. For us, it's more about the discipline to get to heaven, which if you're a believer, if you believe in your heart and know that Jesus died on the cross, you've already won that battle. Jesus won it for you. But it's a chance for us to get to heaven and hear our Father say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. A plan and discipline are everything. You see, Olympians aren't just born with incredible talent. They don't just show up on the day of the Olympics and win the gold medal. No, it's hours and hours and, and days and days and weeks and months and years of training. They train, they compete. When they get done competing, they go back to training. And then they compete again. And all of that makes them better and better and better. Now, genes have a little bit to do with it, okay? You, you couldn't put this stout five, eight, and three quarters body on a track with Usain Bolt, who is six foot five. No matter how much training I do, you know I'm not going to win that race, okay? So genes have something to do with it, but us as believers, we're all on the exact same line. We all have the ability to run the race and win the race. Let me say it again. A plan and discipline are everything. A plan and the discipline to do it. Sometimes we want the prize, but we're not willing to pay the price to get it. Dave Ramsey tells this story of, uh, about this guy who, in the Olympic spirit, tells everybody, I am going to swim the Atlantic Ocean from New York City to France. Makes this big deal about it. The TV cameras are all there. He trains for a couple weeks, gets in the water, and he gets about two miles before the lifeguards literally have to pull him back in the boat to save him from drowning. This is a true story, by the way. You know, I, I guess, I mean, I wouldn't have made it two miles. He made it about a mile and seven-eighths more than I would have made it. So, good job. But two miles is .0006% of the way from New York City to France. He wasn't going to make it. You don't wake up one day and run a sub 10-second 100 meters. After your fifth 200-meter swim, 
you don't make Michael Phelps shake to his core. You just don't. It takes years of dedicated practice, hours and hours of time in the gym, the pool, or the court. It says everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. I want you guys to check out this video of Michael Phelps talking about sacrifice and training. What was your secret? You've retired now, so well, I hopefully you can divulge this. What were you doing differently that your rivals were not, do you feel? Um, working harder. I mean, honestly, like, it, you know, what I did wasn't rocket science. You know, it's, you know, for me as a kid, I had dreams bigger than anybody else could ever dream. And, and um, I wanted to be the greatest. I wanted to be the best. And, and you know, I think it's, it's, I always wanted to be the first Michael Phelps because I wanted to do things differently than everybody else. So for me, when I went through a span of five or six years where I didn't miss a single day of training, 365 days a year, that made me different. I got 52 extra days each year than anybody else had. And in the sport of swimming, if you miss one day, it takes you two days to get back to where you were. So everybody else is taking a step back on Sunday when they weren't swimming, and I was taking that one step forward. So for me, that's, that's really all it was. I was willing, I think, to make sacrifices. And I think the greats, I, I, I love this, the greats do things when they don't always want to. Mm. And I think that's what separates good from great. I'll put this question to you. It's one we have on the show time and time again. It's one I have with friends. Nature versus nurture. What, what one do you put that little bit ahead? What is the stardust that separates? I mean, the biggest thing I think that really separated me through my career was my mental game. Everything that was in between my ears. Like, for me, it's just... I, I eventually got to the point where I was competing against myself because I was so hard on myself. And, you know, for me to improve, I had to get stronger mentally, and I had to find a way to do it. And, and I think my coach helped me get through that process and learn more. So for me, like, when I, when I would visualize, I visualize every single, I mean, getting up to a meet, I would visualize probably a month or so in advance just of what could happen, what I want to happen, and what I don't want to happen. Because when it happened, I was prepared for it. Yeah. So, you know, when... I go into 2008 and my, in, in the 200 fly, my goggles fill up with water the first 25 and I swim blind for 175 meters. I revert back to what I did in, in, in training and counted my strokes. And I, knew, I know how many strokes I take the first, second, third, and fourth 50 of all of my best 200 flies. So I reverted back to that and I was ready for that because I was mentally prepared for it. Um, I mean, this time around, I go up to put my cap on for the 800 free relay and it rips. So naturally, I know that I can't represent somebody else's name, so I have to turn the cap inside out. It's just, it's just something that I've always been prepared for. Just, it was something my coach did from a very young age and continued to try to just improve that game step by step. The church in Corinth, they started off the race well. Like Michael Phelps, they had Paul with them. They were going every single day. They were making this work. They were passionate. They were on fire for God. Paul was putting leaders in place, making sure that the church was going to keep on the same path. And then something happened. Somewhere along the way, they started to lose their focus. They started to lose the goal, the prize that is at the end. 
They lost the focus of becoming more like Jesus and instead got kind of wrapped up in all these things happening around them, all these things happening in the church. There's a verse in Galatians 5.27 that says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? For those of you that were here last month, you remember me telling a story about how I had I'd heard God and telling me that I was going to be a writer, that this is how I was going to impact the kingdom, writing songs for him, that kind of thing. I moved to Nashville, and I'm there for Nashville for two years, and it was one of the, the two best years of my life. I just God was blessing me around every corner, people I was meeting, people I was getting in contact with. It was an incredible two years, but there were these voices that kept coming from back home. Hey, you got to come home. My brother's calling. Are you going to coach us in football and wrestling? Or, you know, my best friend's having a baby. Are you going to come home? And I remember praying, Lord, do I stay here or do I go? And I so clearly heard God say, you need to stay. And I left. And I went home. Paul says, who cut in on you? Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? I continued to go to church, but that decision that I made, literally, when I look back now at that period of time in my life, I really was in the wilderness after that for many years. It's like I lost that direction from God of who I was supposed to be. I let even my closest people to me, my family and my friends, kind of cut in on what God had called me to do. And I was right in the midst of it. But I chose to make other people happy in that sense. I just wonder today if there's somebody here this morning that might be in that same place. You know, you, you've maybe you've been a Christian all your life. You grew up in the church. Maybe you're brand new to faith, you know, and Things were going really strong, but all of a sudden, things started to cut in a little bit. You know, you, you come to church every once in a while because sometimes it's just nice to sleep in. And you know what? <laughs> it's really awesome to meet with our friends for brunch on Sunday mornings. You know, who cut in on you? You haven't given your heart to Christ. You haven't given everything to him. You're having a hard time hearing his voice anymore. Somebody is cutting in on you, whether it's voices from friends, maybe it's cultural norms that have drawn you away from your Savior and, and his purpose for you, Paul is whispering to you this morning, who cut in on you? You have let someone or something cut in on your faith. You're not thriving, you're just surviving. Let me say that again. In your faith, maybe you're here today and you're not thriving, you're just surviving. And that's not where your heavenly father wants you to be. This was happening to the church in Corinth. They were letting their focus on winning the prize slip. They had gotten wound up in uh, some of the members following Paul, some following Apollos, Peter had been in the Corinthian church as well, so some people were following him. They were lifting them up. I love in that chapter 10 where Paul actually is sarcastic with them. He's like, did I get crucified on a cross for you? Did, did I baptize you? He says, I'm glad I only baptized two of you because if I had baptized you all, you might think I was the Savior. 
You know, I love the sarcasm that he uses there. It's so real. They wondered whether they could eat this meat that was used for ceremonial idol worship, which seems really weird to us. We're like, really? I mean, the blood and all that, you know, for the idol worship. It wasn't, it wasn't to God. It was just to some idol they were doing. And apparently, it is something that happened quite often back then. It was kind of a normal thing that they would eat food from these idol worship people. But what Paul was saying is, who are you offending by doing that? He was actually saying, is this beneficial for you to do that? Are you thinking about others when you do that? There were all sorts of things happening in the church. They were speaking in tongues, but there was nobody to interpret anything. And so it was just kind of a circus going on in worship-wise. There was a lot happening in that Corinthian church. And a lot of the things didn't have anything to do with Jesus. We're just running after Jesus without winning the prize. Let's go back to the verse. It says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul has a plan and he's working the plan. He's working on his heart. He's working on his thoughts, taking them all captive for the sake of Christ. I love how Michael Phelps mentioned in that video that, you know, he trained every day. That he knew that if he did those 52 extra days, that he had something over the competitors. I mean, can you imagine, you know, stepping up onto the, the starting block, I think is what it's called, and looking down and just knowing in your heart, man, I have swam 52 more days than you. I'm going to crush y'all. I mean, the confidence that he must have had at that moment to know that he has worked harder than everybody else. As an athlete, that's what it takes, that confidence. Shouldn't it be that way in our faith? That we're walking so closely with God, so in tune with his spirit, we know him through his word, that the things of this world can't really have an effect on us because we come across them every day. We come across different things that happen to us, different things we hear. It's so easy in the 21st century to lose our focus. A hundred different things happening to you every single day that give us mixed messages about the importance of our relationship with God. Your, your family, your wife, your husband, your kids, your boss, your employees, your friends, your career, the radio, the TV, the next game, the concert next weekend the group that wants to go out to eat together, the kids, friends who want to have a sleepover, your phone, your email, your text messages, everything, everything telling you what's important in life. It's a never-ending battle. Maybe you're saying, Pastor Scott, well, then what does this look like? Because it sounds like you wanted me to be a monk and just read the word all day long and I'll be on my knees. And I would say the answer to that is no. No, that, that's not what Paul's saying. I want to give you three thoughts this morning, okay, that maybe will help you get back on track if you're off track. And, and if you're doing well, maybe this will just encourage you to stay on it. Paul says to not run aimlessly, to not fight like a boxer beating the air. 
So how can we, in the midst of our busy lives, refocus, okay? Refocus our spiritual life. Get back to running the race like we want to win. Number one, work on your relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with him. I have a relationship with my wife, okay? We've been married for 15 years. I've known her for 16 years. There hasn't been a day in 15 years of marriage that we, we haven't spoken. Not one day. 95% of those days, we've been together. And, you know, every morning we kind of have our devotion time in the living room together. Sometimes we pray together. We talk about what's going on with the kids, what's, you know, what do our days look like, all the things that we got to do. Sometimes it's overwhelming, but that's the time that we have to kind of make a plan for the day. Middle of the day, we normally check in with each other. How you doing? How you doing? You know, great thing. Get home after work. And we normally have about a half an hour while we're making dinner and the kids are off doing something where we, we talk about the day, things that happened in her job, things I share. After we put the kids to bed at night, we have another 30, 45 minutes together before we both fall asleep. <laughs> That's what a relationship is. And you know what? Your relationship with Jesus is no different. Because guess what? He wants to talk to you. He, he wants to hear from you. He wants to know what made your day great? What brought you joy? What, what made you sad? Why did you get mad today? You know, he wants to know all the things that happen in your life. He wants to speak to you. He wants to give you words of encouragement, compassion, and love. He, he wants to give you words of correction even, how you might handle that differently the next time. He wants to use you every day. So he wants to tell you how he might use you today, tomorrow, next week. What his plan and his purpose is for you. Prayer is crucial. The people that are important in your life, you think about reaching out to them regularly. Because Jesus isn't standing right in front of us. Sometimes we really have to make a mental note and to get into the habit of doing that. Maybe, you know, maybe you need to set a reminder on your phone. Hey, check in with God. You know, whatever you need to do. Because sometimes it's just a matter of practice. Secondly, you need to get to know him. Get to know him. How do we do that? Well, he has given you his words, his thoughts. This is the best-selling book of all time for a reason. You know, there's power in here. There's encouragement in here. There's words of wisdom in here. Every page, every question that you have about life, I fully believe can be answered right here. A second way to get to know God is be here. Be here on Sundays. There's a verse in Hebrews 10, 23 and 25. says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Love that. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. One of my personal pastors used to say, success starts on Sunday. Make church a priority in your life. Why is it important? 
All you have to do is look around you. Guys, there's 150, 200 people in here that are running the exact same race as you are. They have the spirit of Jesus in them as well. Sometimes it might be hard to see, but we all do. None of us are perfect, but it's in there. Even the runner who runs in a race doesn't do it alone. They have people cheering them on. They have people who help them train. They have people that have sacrificed to get them where they are now. You know how many people it takes to make an Olympic, Olympic dream, an Olympic medal happen? Parents bring in their kids to practice for years and years. Coaches, trainers, friends, competitors, all to push them to their limits. Is there a Magic Johnson without a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Is there a Peyton Manning without Marvin Harrison? Is there a Baker Mayfield without Hollywood Henderson, Mark Andrews, Joe Mixon at the time? It takes a village, okay? And walking, the walk of faith is no different. So it's important to be here. Here you hear the word of God and you join with like-minded people who are doing the same thing, running the same race. And you don't know it, but you being here and worshiping him, it might be the one time a week that you forget about the things that are happening to you and you lift up his name. And that means a lot to our God because that's who he wants you to be. He wants you to be not thinking about yourself. So what does going into strict training, as Paul said, what does that look like? I think it depends on where you're at in the journey. Okay, if you're, if you're brand new in a relationship with God and maybe you're not spending any time with God right now, you know, you're kind of at square one. Start with your first 15. Just your first 15 minutes of the day. Do five minutes of prayer, five minutes of the word, and five minutes of worship. Throw on a song and just, just soak it in. It's 15 minutes. Does everybody have 15 minutes? Come on, everybody. I bet everybody has 15 minutes. It's a great place to start because it's not necessarily about quantity. It's about the quality of your time. And it's about consistency. Doing it day after day. That's how you get to know somebody. So if all you can give right now is 15 minutes a day, I'd say, man, do that. Start with that. You know, if you've been in a relationship with Jesus for a while, you're going, you know, 15 is just not enough. Man, I, 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 can't, I can't say all I want to say to God in 15 minutes. I can't read all I want to read. You know, I would say I probably spend maybe 30, 45 minutes every morning between my prayer, my worship, and just reading the word. But it looks different for everybody. I have some pastor theologian friends literally get up at four in the morning to read two to three hours of the word every single day. But once again, it is not about the quantity. It's about the quality of time. Because just like a father and his child, your father just wants time with you. He just wants to get to know you. He just wants to feel like you know him and he knows you. There's a verse in chapter 10. And it's funny, in the, in the Bible, there's these, you've seen these titles of sections. Well, just so you know, when in the original transcripts, these titles weren't there. The verses just all ran together. But it says, the believer's freedom. 
And just so I'm not using it out of context, I want to tell you what the context is. It's the, it's the portion where they're talking about the food and this idol worship. And Paul's trying to get them to understand it's not necessarily about the food, but about keeping others in mind. Now, this verse in chapter 10, it says, I have the right to do anything you say. But Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. But Paul says, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Woo! That, my friends, is, is what I call the magic sauce. This is the part that the church in Corinth hasn't figured out yet. And in a lot of ways, the church in the United States hasn't figured out yet. I believe it's the piece to the puzzle that if we get it right, it has more to do with the prize in heaven than anything else. In an effort to be aligned with Tim, I'm going to tell you that this is the magic sauce on the Whopper. You know, you, you listen, you have got the meat. You've got that all beef patty that goes on that magic thing and goes through. You've got the lettuce and the tomato. If you want that gross onion on there, you can do it. You know, you got that bun, but it's the magic sauce. Maybe it's just ketchup and mayonnaise mixed together. I don't know, but it's what makes the Whopper the Whopper. The same way it's the special sauce that makes the Big Mac the Big Mac. As it comes to our relationship, the meat is the word of God. The condiments is that prayer time and getting to know him. But serving others, it's the magic sauce that teaches you who Jesus is, what the heart of Jesus is. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. The whole verse, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. It's not about us. It's about others. It's about each of us in here. It's about people on the other side of these walls. There's a reason why we are in such an incredible place here on 23rd Street in downtown Oklahoma City. Because we can reach every ethnicity, every economic status. There, when I sit out at our table during the week, the people that I see that go by, it's an entire mix of our culture. And we have such an opportunity to impact them. All we have to do is make it a priority in our life. Do I say this because it's the church thing to do to try and get everybody to serve? No, that is not why. I tell you this because I believe it is truly who Jesus was. To look at those around them, how he could serve them. Do I believe that there is something set aside for the people who get this part of it? I, I truly do. I think it's that treasure in heaven that Jesus is talking about, storing treasure in heaven. If our end goal is to know Jesus, nothing will give you greater insight to his heart than serving others. That may be the people around you, around right here 
They might be serving their kids. I know Tim put out an email this week. Our kids' ministry is growing, and we need, we need help. We need somebody, some people who might give one hour once a month. Once a month. It may be outside these walls. One of our Bringing Life initiatives is we reach out to the schools called Rally Schools. We, we make meals for some of the sports teams around us. We really are just trying to love our community. Get involved with that. You might get a group of people together to serve the homeless here in our area. We have an incredible opportunity there that I absolutely can see us making a ministry of that in the future. Let me share with you this one last note. I've never heard anybody, any Olympic athlete, who went through all those years of training, all those sacrifices, all those dances missed, all of those you know, times to hang out with friends missed, that when they won the gold medal, they said, oh, that was not worth it. It doesn't happen. It's worth it. It's worth us running the race. If you work on your relationship with Jesus and pray, get to know him better. Make an effort to get to know him better. Know his word. Know his people. Come to church. And number three, if you'll figure out that thing about serving others, learning to consider others better than yourself. Woo. In a world of noise, you're going to find more peace. In a world full of fear, you'll find more hope. In a world full of judgment of others, you are going to find more compassion. And in a world full of insecurity, you will find assurance that the Father has a plan and a purpose for you every single one of you. Don't you know that the runners run? That we're all trying to win the race. Run as if you want to win the race. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, my heart goes out because, Father, I've had these seasons of my life where I didn't hear your voice well, where, Father, I wasn't getting into your word, where I had completely lost the scope of staying in the race, Lord. And it, it was hard to get through those years because I didn't have your power. I didn't have your word. I didn't have the full armor, as your word says. Father, I just pray today. I know that you have a purpose and plan for every single purpose and every single person in here. Father, just speak to our hearts. Let us not walk away through those doors out to lunch and forget to run the race. Remind us. Speak to us. Reach out to us. Lord, our desire to love you. Our desire is to serve you. And Father, let us run to win. 
Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your spirit. Go before us today. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.